0: Everybody enjoying the brisk fall weather. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Well, if you're here with us this morning, maybe for the first time, or you're somewhat new to the congregation, my name is Ben James. I'm the lead pastor here at FCC. We are uh, we're really glad to have you with us. We're glad uh, if you're joining us online. We're glad that you're joining us there as well. We have been working through the Book of Ephesians. Uh, basically since January. but uh, We've taken little intermittent breaks here and there uh, for different months to take different looks at things, and we're back kind of wrapping up. Uh, as we kind of get towards the end of the year, we're wrapping up our look at the book of Ephesians, and we are in Ephesians chapter 6, kind of been settling into the 10 to 18 range of verses in that passage. We're In the armor of God section right now, to where we are starting to break down a little bit individually the pieces of the armor of God that Paul describes here as he's writing this letter. We looked last week at the belt of truth, and we dissected that a little bit, talked about what the belt of truth was, the meaning of that word truth in the context of Paul's writing, and we found as we move back into Ephesians that Paul talked about Jesus Christ being the truth. And that's what he is saying, that to fasten on the belt of truth, that core around our being is to be girded about with the truth of Jesus Christ. We're going to continue the look today at the breastplate of righteousness. Because Paul talks about in that passage that we are to fasten the belt of truth And then to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Just as we did last week, what I kind of want us to do is look at this word righteousness. When Paul says to to put on the breastplate of righteousness, what is this word that he's meaning with righteousness, because again, let's revisit a little bit. Paul's talking about belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, and he's just giving us these things in sequence here very quickly, which is out of context for how Paul typically writes. Because if Paul's giving instruction, if he's giving something that he wants us to obey, a command, an instruction, then Paul is always faithful to provide a little bit of detail as to the meaning of what he is, he's giving us this imperative for. So he says this breastplate of righteousness, and then he moves on. So as we did last week, let's look at the beginning of the letter, more towards the forward of the letter, and talk about, okay, if he says righteousness, but he gives no explanation for it, then there's probably a chance that he has defined this righteousness already in the letter. And he has. In Ephesians chapter 4 uh, verses 20 through 24, uh, we see him again say, "...but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus." So we focused on that last week, that as the truth is in the person of Jesus. Now he's giving some direction here, "...to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires." and to be renewed in the spirits of your minds, and to put on the new self. So this is after salvation. This is after repentance. This is after dedicating your heart and your life to Christ. It says, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's the target right there. That's the righteousness that Paul's talking about. Only the righteousness that can be obtained through God through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we connected this a little bit last week, and I want to do it again this week, and I want to make a little bit of a correction from last week. We uh, we talked about how the Gentile converts, the new believers that were maybe pagan in their background, in their spiritual and religious beliefs, they would have been able to understand this illustration very easily, because of the Greco-Roman soldiers of the time, as Paul is talking about putting on this armor, they would have had a clear visual as to the pieces that he was referring to. So they would have understood this breastplate from a current state. Now the Jewish converts, the people who had a Jewish background that were converted to Christianity, that accepted Jesus, they would have not only understood this illustration from a current state, context and a visual representation, but they would have also associated it with a very prominent prophecy in the Old Testament. And that takes place in Isaiah 59. Now here's the correction. Although the screen is correct, last week I said Ezekiel 59 as I was talking. If you're still looking for Ezekiel 59, stop. Doesn't exist. And if you found it, Put away whatever you found it in because it's not Scripture. Okay, So Isaiah 59, 14-17 says this, Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede." Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So they would have not only understood the current context, the visual of the illustration, they would have directly connected this back to an Old Testament messianic prophecy of the coming Messiah that he put on righteousness as a breastplate. So, having stated this and the connection and what it really meant and what Paul was referring back to, let's, let's take a little bit of a deeper look this morning into what is it? You know, what is this righteousness? How, how, do we, how do we define it? What's, what's the, the takeaways for us? How do we see how they processed it? How do we process it? And let's move through this a little bit. I think the first thing that we need to clear up, uh, maybe the easiest way to define what it is this morning is first to begin with what it is not. And it is not self-righteousness. It is not self-righteousness. And we see this example littered all through Scripture I'm just going to mention a few as to where we are instructed in the New Testament that our righteousness is as filthy rags, that there's nothing good about us. There's nothing righteous about us. And Jesus even gives the instruction that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, then you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. And these were the pinnacle leaders, spiritual leaders at the time, and he's saying that even these men that you put up on a pedestal that you esteem highly as religious, godly men, unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you're not going to enter into the kingdom. So there's nothing that we can do. there's nothing in and of ourselves that we can do a righteous level of our actions, words and personalities. There's nothing of that that's going to qualify us as righteous. Now, I want to share with you a story that I heard. Now, I cannot speak to the legitimacy or the accuracy of this story because it did not happen to me. I just heard it kind of passed down. So um, some of you have difficulties believing preacher stories to begin with. I'm just telling you that this isn't a Ben original. okay? But I heard it said that... A man lost his wife, an elderly man lost his wife, and they were talking with a pastor friend of mine about the funeral, about what they wanted said during the funeral services. The gentleman stated that I really don't care what you say about my wife as long as you say that she was a righteous, saintly woman. The preacher kind of, Bowed his head a little bit and kind of looked up and said, "I don't think I can say that because I, I I hate to be this harsh, but she wasn't really a good woman. She wasn't a good lady. She was rude. She was mean. She was ugly to people at times. She was very judgmental. She was she had a bad attitude. She didn't take care of her family. She didn't." Take care of all of these things. I, I don't think that I can say that she was a righteous, saintly woman. And the gentleman said, Well, I will write you a check for $50,000 right here, right now, if you say that she was a righteous, saintly woman. So during the message at the, at the funeral, he said all of these things. He said, We, we at some times we struggled. With this lady. We, we had difficult times communicating with her. We had difficulty in relationships with her. She wasn't always e- the easiest to be around. She wasn't always the easiest to get along with. But compared to her husband, she was a righteous, saintly woman. <laughs> so just kind of, a, like I said, I, I didn't believe him for a moment, but I thought, that's funny. And you all know me. If I can get a laugh, I'm going to try. Even if I can't get a laugh, I'm going to try. But anyhow, it's not self righteous. We know that. Now, I'm going to, as we continue to answer this question, I'm going to get, I'm going to touch a little bit on some theology this morning. I we to get a little bit theological on us, and I know that some of us kind of bristle with the mentioning of theology or any type of theological reference, which I understand we have a bad taste in our mouth, maybe from someone, some situation, some group, some incident that we've had along the way that have really has really just kind of made us look the other way whenever we hear that term theology but understand that your theology is a really big deal because theology is what you believe about god what your theology is is what you believe about god and that's what's going to be a big part in determining your eternity it's not my theology It's not your parents' theology, it's not your grandparents' theology, it's not a university's theology, it's not overall a church's theology that that plays the biggest role in you and your eternity. It's what you believe about God and how that plays out in your life. So when we talk about theology from a righteousness standpoint, there's a couple different areas that I want us to look at. And the first is a positional theology. Now, you, you may have heard it taught this way, imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. I'm going to use the term positional righteousness because that means that it is where we are in our relationship with God. Or the righteousness that we receive from God. It is nothing of our doing. It is nothing that we've qualified ourselves for. It's nothing that we've been good enough for. It's it's nothing that we've stumbled into and it just happened by happenstance. This is the righteousness that only comes through God the Father, from God the Father, through Jesus Christ, resurrected and alive today. That's the righteousness, what Jessica read at the beginning of service. That's positional, imputed righteousness. It's nothing of ours, and it's completely His. So as we look at this, Philippians 3, 8 and 10 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi here. And this is such a powerful passage whenever you begin to understand what Paul is disqualifying here and what he's embracing because what he's disqualifying is I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord for this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ these all things that Paul is talking about is his previous works And Paul was a very prominent Pharisee in the Jewish faith. He was an incredibly high in the pecking order of a rabbi back in this time before his conversion on the road to Damascus Paul was one of the more up-and-coming rabbis of this generation. And what he's saying is like, everything that I did before, everything that I knew before, as well as I could keep the law, as much of it as I had memorized, everything about me before, I count it all as garbage. It's trash. It's worthless. It's less than worthless. Why? Because it had no righteousness of its own. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Even the Apostle Paul, one of the most influential men in church history, is saying that everything of me apart from Jesus Christ is absolute rubbish. It's garbage. It's trash. I just made up a word and said rubbish. It's okay. It's okay. Just act like I knew what I meant. But all of these things, Paul is saying that there's no point because nothing is going to qualify me. It's through my faith in Jesus Christ that His righteousness is now made my own. This breastplate of righteousness, let's, let's understand, let's look back at the illustration here and let's talk about what this breastplate would have been. First off, it would have had to have attached to the belt of truth. You remember when we went through that last week and we said that that's the centerpiece of the armor, whether it be physical or spiritual, it's the centerpiece because everything attaches to it, everything is contained within it, everything is holstered in it. If your breastplate, if your righteousness is not fastened in the truth of Jesus Christ, then it's not going to do you any good. It's an insecure righteousness at best. And if it's not attached to the truth of Jesus Christ, if it's not fastened to the belt of truth, then you are leaning on your own self-righteousness. And one of the things that I've always heard Uh, And and that I've heard several, several times, even ministered on it myself. And I don't know if it's 100% accurate. I don't know if it's not accurate either. So I don't want to put it out here as complete truth. But we've all most likely heard that the one piece of armor that's not listed in the armor of God is something for your back. Right? Have we all heard that? Because you're never supposed to retreat. You're never supposed to show your back. You're always supposed to push forward. That's most likely not the case now, I'm not objecting to the fact that we don't need to retreat. You know, I, I think that we need to continually be pushing on. But most likely, using the illustration, this breastplate would have been one that, that covered both front and back. Because during this time, especially the Jewish faith, the center mass was a really big deal, and it was really important. Because they believed that your heart was where everything flows from. We can see that in Old Testament Scripture. That, and we can see it even in, that out of the abundance of the what the mouth speaks, it's the heart. And they believed that in your stomach, and your digestive system, in that area, that's where all of your emotions came from. You ever? I can feel it in my gut you ever see, and not referring to Taco Bell but you know just that that I've just got this gut feeling it was a really big deal for them to cover that area because they believed that their thoughts their mind and their will and emotions came in this area so when paul talks about this righteousness being the protective piece of that it was a very critical piece So the positional nature of this, not only who we are in Christ, but where it falls on our bodies, is is really critical in us in our spiritual warfare. So let's look at the practical aspects of the armor of God. So Ephesians 6, 10-14, the very first part of 14 is where we're going to start. But it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, having. This is a practical call that Paul has given us. This is a command of something that we are supposed to submit our lives to, something that we are supposed, supposed to be obedient to. This practical of putting on, when Paul says to stand, stand therefore, put on the whole armor of God. So What really is this breastplate of righteousness then? If it's righteousness and we're supposed to put it on, does that mean that I put on this imputed positional righteousness? I want to submit to you here that Paul is not talking about positional righteousness, but he's talking about holy living and righteous living and living in a way that honors God and recognizes Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't don't confuse anything here. Practical righteousness, which we're going to look at here in just a little bit, practical righteousness is impossible without positional righteousness. Does that make sense? I can't put on righteous living if righteousness from God is not dwelling within me. Because if I don't have this imputed, positional righteousness from him through my faith in Jesus Christ, then the only righteousness that I can put on is self-righteousness. And that's never worked out for me. My self-righteousness has never protected me from anything. It's actually opened me up to more things. And I think that, that John Bunyan, I don't know if any of you are familiar with John Bunyan, wrote the Pilgrim's Progress, but he, he had a real struggle with this, of the righteousness of imputed, this putting on, this practical, what righteousness, this security element of is it my righteousness, is it his righteousness? But I've got a quote up here from him that I want to read. He said, one day as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell upon my soul, thy righteousness is in heaven with the eyes of my soul i saw jesus at the father's right hand there i said is my righteousness so that wherever i was or whatever i was doing god cannot say to me where is your righteousness for it is always right before him i saw that it is not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse For my righteousness is in Christ. Now my chains fell off indeed, my temptations fled away, and I live sweetly at peace with God. The understanding that our source of righteousness, Jesus Christ, sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf should give us hope beyond anything we've ever encountered before and peace that goes beyond anything that we could ever understand. Amen? That Jesus Christ is that source. So how do we put on this righteousness? If, we, if we're positional, if it's imputed, okay, then how do I live this out? What are some of the steps that I need to take in order to put this on? I'm going to have you skip that there if you don't mind, Christy. Sorry about that. See, I put these in order for her. So how do we put this on? Number one, we have to fasten it to the belt of truth. Remember that. Secondly, we have to recognize and say no to sin. Again, remember that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And that we are not ignorant, we're not unaware of the enemy's schemes against us. We need to recognize the sin, and then we need to flee from it. We need to say no to it. Thirdly, surrender yourself to God. Because it's not self-righteousness. It's His righteousness. And we can only put this on whenever we surrender ourselves to God fully to Him. Next, replace sin with righteousness. Those areas of your life that you struggle with, when you recognize them, when you say no to them, it's not good enough just to leave a void there. It's not good enough to just say, okay, this is an area of my life that I need to do better at, or I need to stop doing, and then just say, okay, I'm going to stop doing it. We need to replace it with righteousness. A good example of this is Maybe, maybe we need to replace Netflix binging with scripture reading. Maybe we need to replace doom scrolling on social media with prayer time. See, it's not just, it's a good thing if you give up binge watching. It's a good thing if you give up doom scrolling. It's a good thing to do those things. But it needs to be replaced with something righteous. Righteous because if it's not replaced with something righteous then you're going to fall right back into it. Anybody? Anybody ever? I'm taking a social media fast. I can't do it anymore. I got to see what's going on. Because if we don't replace it with something. It's kind of like fasting. You know if you ever fast, if you ever go without food, if you give something up for God, If you don't replace it with something righteous, with something spiritual, you're just going hungry, man. And I'm not about that life. I don't like being hungry. Anybody else? they're like, yes, I'm hungry now. Would you be quiet? Devin, that was a little loud, brother. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. you got to replace it with something righteous. And then depend on the Holy Spirit. Because you're not going to be able to do any of these things without the Holy Spirit's help. It's going to be impossible. You can give it a great effort. You may even be successful at it for a little while. But in the end, without total, complete surrender and dependence to the Holy Spirit, it's not going to last. It's just not going to last. I'll ask the praise team if they would to come up now. And, and Christy, now I'm going to ask if you would to pull up those other slides of why do we need it. We need it to protect our inner being. Proverbs 4:23 talks about the importance of our heart and guarding our heart. So why do we need to put on these things? We need to protect our inner being. Next is to provide peace in our relationship. Now, I'm not talking about our relationship with each other. I'm talking about our relationship with God. Because if I'm depending upon my relationship and my righteousness to determine the relationship with God, I'm not going to have any peace in it. Because there's going to be a constant source of battle. There's going to be a constant source of sin. There's going to be a constant source of unrighteousness that I'm trying to to find peace within my relationship with Christ. We need His righteousness. We need to put on this breastplate of right living for a peace in our relationship with Him. And lastly, most importantly, to glorify God. Whenever we do all things, we need to glorify Him. And I hope, I hope, that that is one thing that emanates from this house, from our prayer time, from what we sing, from what we talk about, to the communion, to messages, to Sunday school lessons, to youth lessons, to kids lessons, that guys, if we're not here to glorify God, then we're not here for the right purpose. If we're not here to bring glory to His name, and we're not exalting and glorifying Him, As I've said before, we're just a really, really sheltered social club that meets at an odd time. What separates us, separates this time, is that everything we say, everything we do is breastplate of righteousness. Why do we need it? Because it glorifies Him.